Welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to determine what the best movie is of any given year. Before I introduce my panelists, you should know that this show is also a game in which I will be awarding points for well-made arguments, coaching thoughts about the film, jokes, and anything else I feel like awarding. Everyone will be my best friend for a week, deliver blueberry muffins to my doorstep every day, and have gloating rights. The winner from last week and my best friend and gotta tell you pretty good baker of muffins is ryan i made those muffins from scratch i assume it was a ted lasso deal where i was like where's the store uh no there is no store the store is these two hands um can't buy them in a store because they were made with love uh none i did not put blueberries in any of them so somebody was sneaking around inserting blueberries into my delicious plain muffins I've never had a plain muffin. Yeah, I make incredible batches of no flavor, no fruit, no nut muffins. So no corn. And it sounds like somebody steps up and, and salvages those muffins for you, Ryan. Some loser comes around and is like, Not well, necessarily a loser. Not these, necessarily a loser. <laughs> these need blueberries. But with every blueberry, you miss the delicious taste of plain. So I'm sorry, <laughs> Mike. I had a couple of pretty good plain bites in there, but... Uh, Maybe I I don't know if this this next panelist is uh calls himself the blueberry maestro aka Greg. Yeah, that's unrelated to what we were just talking about. It's something else about blueberries, but they oh, are okay. a superfood. Um they are rich in antioxidants. So if you think your problem is too much oxygen, boom, blueberries. Take care of that. Blueberries. That's why I drink nothing but blueberry wine, two for <laughs> one. And it gives your mouth such a delightful hue. This is a very specific intervention. You don't have to stop <laughs> drinking, but you have to stop only drinking blueberry wine, my or man. Or brush your teeth when you're done. It's just teeth, like purple lips and teeth the entire time. No, just like you don't drink orange juice after you brush your teeth. You don't brush your teeth after you drink blueberry <laughs> wine. I'm sorry that my mouth looks like some sort of ghoul from 2011's Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, but... Perfect reference. Daddy likes his blueberry wine. God, this motherfucker loves nothing but drinking blueberry wine and referencing Hansel and Gretel witch hunters. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Renner. No, we know. We're trying to end the conversation. Don't. <laughs> we are unfortunately not here to talk about Hansel and Gretel. Gemma Arterton? Tonight. It might be Gemma Arterton. You know her from. And we are here to talk about 2002's Minority Report. Gregory. Yes. Before this week, what was your relationship to Minority Report? I saw this movie in the theaters. <laughs> and then, unlike a lot of the movies I saw in 2002, I also saw it. I've probably seen this movie in the theaters, on VHS, on the DVD, and now via streaming service. So I've seen this movie many times. What was your favorite... Uh is it Methem? Medium? What do you call it when you've watched it in all those different formats? Format. What's your favorite format? <laughs> it's it's definitely meant to be seen in a theater where I think some of the some of the way he utilizes lights, I think were not as I don't know, didn't stand out as much watching it in the theater versus like watching the the, the streaming version I watched versus like ultra high def or something. That's not totally fair to these older movies because that's mm. not like how they existed initially or something. Um, and so it, it didn't look bad. It just looked, I felt like when I watched it, it looked older than it should look in some ways. I, I do wish new TVs were like, when's this made? Okay. I'll 
yeah. chill out a little. You shouldn't see the strings that it's not the movie's fault or how every new show looks like a soap opera because it's so crisp and clean. You're like, I can see their makeup. This looks like shit. Oh, Mike, <laughs> you have you have mo- motion smoothing on, don't you? Yeah, dude, you got to take no. your motion smoothing you on. You have your motion smoothing on. You've got an old on. person TV. Oh, God, no, you are so no old right now. motion is smoothed, <laughs> but it all still looks like ass. Everything just looks like The Hobbit to you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Take that, Ryan. Hobbit. Take that, Hobbit. Are we talking about the 1980s creepy cartoon Hobbit? Because everything I do have the disease where everything looks like that to me. <laughs> when they came out with the the, the most recent Hobbit movies, where wasn't it 60 frames per second, and it looked like a telenovela? Yeah, it's, it, Avatar two does that too. Cool. It's okay. gross. Sorry it's for gross. sorry for speaking. Um, yes, no, Mike? I'm sorry. That was a dig at Avatar, not at you. Mm-hmm. Fuck Avatar <laughs> and the Way of Water, Ryan. What are your feelings about Avatar in the Way of Water? I thought it was fine. You know, I, I understand that Mike is a super tough guy who will never let an Avatar cross his eyes unless it's the last airbender and it has M. Night Shyamalan's name attached. I, will, I watch that every other day. <laughs> and how do you feel about Minority Report? Similarly? I, fine. I remember this movie liking it, thinking it disappeared a little too much. Uh, I think that I started this season of ours, um, the O2 season, saying that Minority Report is not even the best Spielberg movie in the season mm-hmm. because we have Catch Me If You Can coming later, a movie that I fucking love. Um, and now, after this week, I'm starting to think that we have a dark horse candidate to take the whole goddamn thing down. A bright white horse candidate, you mean? I I think this movie is spectacular. Uh, I cannot wait to get into why. It's possible that you guys will talk me down from this because I'm spiraling about how flawed but incredibly, like all of the flaws are as incredible as all of the things this movie does right. Um, This is just like, this is a jaw-dropping movie from everything it does well and everything it does. What the fuck is this movie doing? If Babe Ruth threw 10 baseballs up in the air and pointed at different parts of home runs and whacked, some of it would be interesting to watch. Yes. And uh, I don't know if that's shit talking, I, but yes. It, I, it was an interesting watch, and some things are done very well. And we'll get into it. We'll get into it. The, Why don't we take a quick... Hmm? There's nothing done wrong. Like, uh, hey old lady that is there for information you want to fucking plant one right on tom cruise's lips yeah dude that's go done for it. that's not done wrong that's done right as shit it's tell your actors not that much and maybe this is a batman movie and she's not sure so she's like i guess i'm a poison ivy so i kiss him for no reason wait am i a poison ivy <laughs> am i one of those poison ivies Could going I get around some direction over here vis-a-vis whether or not i am a character <laughs> from a different franchise <laughs> I'll just assume I'm Poison Ivy. All right. Well, uh, actress, you asked your one question. It's whether or not you're a Poison Ivy. The answer is yes. Go. (laughs) Do with that what you will. Spielberg had a fun rule that year. He had to say yes to every question. (laughs) What a good director. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, really dig into the guts of Minority Report. In a fantastical world where media tracks you wherever you are, <laughs> cars are self-driving, and people are thrown in mentally incapacitating prisons without due process, everything is made perfect by the Washington, D.C. pre-crime division. A unit that uses three children of addicts floating in milk to predict murders, <laughs> but not other crimes of violence because of the difference the acts cause within the metaphysical realm. 
based on a Philip K. Dick short story of the same name, starring Tom Cruise and directed by Steven Spielberg, who described the movie as 50% character and 50% very complicated storytelling with layers and layers of murder, mystery, and plot, end quote. Taste buds, I ask you this. At this point, we've podcasted about enough Steve Spielberg movies to see the differences more than similarities. Is this his weirdest movie, his most sexual, his most violent, his funniest, his milkiest? All? <laughs> What's going on here? It's I, unique. I think that's what you're driving at, Mike. It is a unique experience on the Stevie Spielberg Express. Yeah, and I, I, like we had talked about this earlier, but like there are, I think that Steven Spielberg takes a lot of shit for being overly sentimental and doing what, when people watch the movie, they're like, oh, of course that's the choice you made. It's the mm-hmm. choice he's making because he has become this all-time filmmaker. Like, So his choices are often good. Here he's making different choices, filmmaking choices. And I really can't compare this easily to any of his other movies. That's why I started pulling in like other directors that this is like, because you can sit there and you can see the similarities between Close Encounters, E.T., and like War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise a couple years after this. But this is this movie is fucking bananas for a Spielberg movie. Yeah, I feel like his movies never have like really twisty, bendy plots. And this movie has like twists and bends and complications, even in areas where it's not totally necessary. Uh-huh. Um, and and you could be like, well, because Philip K. Dick, so much of this is not is yeah. it's so loosely based on that short story. It's it's very much inspired by the short story yes. from what I've been able to gather. That like, you know, there was the short stories about pre crime and that's kind of enough to say based on. But there's so many odd details right. in here that I just assume, and I've not read the short story, assume, like, uh, the machine prints out wood balls. Like, isn't that I, weird enough to be from a short story? I do I think that. that is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's so, yeah, it's, what a weird choice. But, like, the family stuff is not, the sure. the Atherton in the book or in the in the short story is a single like old like uh disco elysium style piece of shit cop you and you can tell that there's a vestige of that because you can tell it's very much supposed to be like he's like the father figure to Wimset, the detective guy but they don't really read as a father and son but Wimset lost uh colin farrell lost his uh dad and tom cruise's character lost oh. his son uh, and so it's very much supposed to be like they're kind of stepping in and filling in for each other, but they read way more as just coworkers. Yeah, I did not get that at all. That no. they're like, oh, look at this great father son relationship. Yeah, well, they have. It more feels like Colin Farrell hates Tom Cruise and is after him. Do you know well, how you can tell? You have it's... like corresponding losses like that. The characters mm. are always kind of meant to sync up. You know, like if I lost a dad and you lost a son, there's just a connection there. Like that doesn't the just dream. happen. <laughs> Ryan, what were you going to say? I don't remember. Um, I think, like, just starting with the characterization of these two people, though, uh, I think is so anti-Spielberg because the the fatherhood or the and the loss of child or, like, the loss of father, that's Spielberg to a T, right? Like, that's... Oh, yeah. That's, that's what happens. But he tries to always give excuses for why this happened, you know? And, like... I'm so stoked that we got to watch The Fablemans before we watch this movie. Before we watch any Spielberg movie for the rest of time, because we're going to pull go back to The Fablemans. Right. But to have Tom Cruise, and we'll get to the performance later, but to have Tom Cruise be a piece of shit, like, as, as a person, um, like, he's not nice, and he's on drugs, and these are all things that Spielberg doesn't really do. 
He um, takes out his eyes and puts somebody mm-hmm. else's eyes where his eyes used to and be. Not a normal Spielberg no. move. <laughs> I mean, th- it should have been ha- it should have been happening more often. Like I could have watched <laughs> ET do that. Doctor Alan Grant just suddenly is like, "Give me that raptor's eyes." <laughs> Um, but yeah, th- these are all darker things that he is not sheltering us with because I think he really wants us to enjoy the ride, quote unquote. And now he's like, you know what? Fuck you. You know, if you guys want to get into this shit, we're going to get into it. And the director that I got to, like, watching, he's, I don't think he's like copying any director, but I, I think that the movies that he watched before he made this was Terry Gilliam. That's no, what this no. feels like is that I'm going to do that weird something I've never done when I do future movies, when I do sci-fi, it's clean. It might be dark, you know, like AI, but there is this clean kittiness to it. And you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to turn the camera, I'm going to tilt it. I'm going to take you into this apartment, Peter Stormare's apartment where he has the eye surgery. That's from right. fucking 12 Monkeys, you know? Like that's th- these are scenes from Brazil and he's saying, you know, I'm going to go more genre than I've ever done. Spielberg right. is always sort of like, I will clean off the genre so it will be for the masses. Yeah, Out that over-the-top advertisement, that reminds me so much of Brazil. Like, right. the inescapable, like, that's like the all the, te- the technology is mostly used to just advertise to you. And that, like, that's- and Brazil's not approachable for a wide audience you know that's why we have Spielberg is so the whole family can go see the movie. He's like, for this one, fuck it. I'm gonna make this weird as shit. It is, yeah, it's like the hardest sci-fi of the Spielberg movies. Also, I, I think the technology tracing you is, I know that pre-crime is supposed to be the scary thing we're worried about, but them just screaming your name while what you walk fu- through stuff. I mean, no, you're, you're not no wearing headphones, you. right? So no. everyone's name is just being screamed out when you walk through a mall hallway. Yeah, I couldn't tell by the way that those shots were staged. I almost got the sense that somehow, using some technology, like that only you heard your name it's like those science museums where there's two things in different parts like there's a little metal funnel and you can whisper at it and somebody across the hall will hear you but nobody else sound right down your ears yeah just hit you in the back of the head in a way that's almost worse actually because then everybody's in their own instanced version of advertisements Mm. all the time and they're not in any meaningfully any meaningful way like together I can't imagine how bad that might be. Could you for imagine society? that, Mike? If advertisers no. were hooked up just for you and knew everything about you. I also like, I, but all of that goes into this thing where he's like, "It's I'm not going to just shoot in Tokyo, like all futuristic movies right. take place, you know." But I'm not going to go full Ridley Scott Blade Runner. I'm not going to just have it be. I'm not going to go to Detroit or something. Rain and dirt the entire time, but I am going to show that, like, as we. And I think that this is sort of uh, one premise of the movie is that the more that we improve, the more that we, you know, devolve. Like once we go this far in this way, we go this far in the other way. And so as the world looks more technologically advanced and in, in even certain ways technologically pretty, there has to be, because of how the pendulum swings, more things that start to look like shit, you know? And that's like the alleyways get worse and uh, darker. Dark. Yeah, everything gets darker. And that the way that he shot it, like, it, it, I, I think you would be hard pressed to find, like, to watch a scene from this if you've never seen it before, and say, like, this is a Spielberg movie because of the the grit and the blue. But it also is like, but I'm also along with Born Identity going to give birth to the look of every other movie for the next fucking twelve years. Is, yeah, the is one this way... is most? Go, Mike. Sorry, go, go. No, you. 
The one way I think you would know it is like a Spielberg movie is I feel like especially at this point in his career, he got very excited about blasting the screen full of light. And I feel like if you showed somebody this movie and AI, like they they seem like they're informed by the same principles of what you can get out of overexposing the the film and just filling everything with light so that you get like noir effects but made in the opposite way rather than like Mm -hmm. by adding darkness you add light and then i think that also works kind of thematically for the movie too because i think like what you were saying ryan that the better things get the worse they get too i also think this movie says that like seeing a lot of something makes you actually miss a major part of it that like Mm -hmm. there is something about sight that when we can see everything we miss something really important and so i think that by using light to actually kind of like and again i think this is why it's good in a theater better in a theater than watching at home like the effect of having that kind of light suddenly blast at you as an audience in a theater it does kind of you want sunglasses on i mean yeah and (laughs) but like so it can keep you from seeing things and there are a couple times this movie where he very pointedly there's like a really ugly lampshade at one part and it's very pointedly put in the foreground so that the audience will be like look at this garish light light lampshade so that they don't see that there's an image from the end of the movie that actually gets shown like you see mm. Anne lively on screen at the right, moment right. where the lamp is shown and there's so it's this, like the more we see the less we see there's a scene where john and his ex-wife are going into her cottage and i love i love a good shit, we need to find a farmhouse to chill back in. Like, this is Ninja Turtles 1990. This is You always have a good farmhouse to go back to. Also, uh, wasn't that kind of a reveal that she was alive? Like, that was a twist yes. that wasn't quite a twist, right? Like, right. I had just assumed just she up. was dead. <laughs> but they're walking into the cottage, and it blinds you with the amount of sunshine that's coming in because uh, John can finally see now. He has new eyes. And also, we're not in the fucking city anymore, which is blue as shit. I think that the difference... AI, in a lot of ways, this feels like a... I don't know, a snowball in the face of AI in that like, okay, you didn't appreciate that as much, so I'm going to do this. And it feels like I'm going to make what is light now blue. Because in all of our other Spielberg movies, we talked about how blue light is the thing. It's what attracts you. You know, It's like sort of what gives you the ghostly power. Uh, it's it's attractive, but also scary. Now I'm going to like make... the fairy godmother was blue. Right. And... Or yeah, okay. the, the light that comes out of the door when the aliens land in Close Encounters or the light that comes out of the boat uh, when they're underwater in Jaws and, you know, they open and that corpse comes out. That's It's it's like it, we need to go to it almost like green is in Gatsby. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to make everything blue and the color of light is going to be the light. Like I'm going to flip all of that shit around. Yeah, and the, the, yeah, there's such a – because everything is bright, but the difference between like the the – the blinding lights of the city and the natural, warm, welcoming light of that farmhouse. Exactly. Yeah, it's like a different now, it's, what he does. It's natural now. Right. Yeah. Do you think this is Spielberg's most adult movie? Adult? I mean, I, I, I do think it's like broad. I mean, it's his L.A. Confidential, right? That's the most adult movie there is. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's broadly funny. I think it's like supposed to be playing on these tropes, and I think he's having a really good time. I think that the spider scene where the guys throw the spiders uh-huh. down and we see people having sex. Has that ever happened in a Spielberg no, movie before? that was shocking. Um, I, it, like the way, that thing, the way that the opening scene is shot, almost like this is a Scream movie, but instead we have an actor whose name is Arya Gross, which is <laughs> uh, should have a question mark after it. 
it's shot so stylistically like it's corny he's being corny here in a way where he thinks that he'll get away with it you know and there's so many things it's not just the old lady kissing in the poison ivy jungle there's so many choices here where he's like fuck it dude i've seen terry do this shit i'm gonna go for it and i do think that's a way in which it's very much like philip k dick because like if you read uh do androids dream of electric sheep and then watch Blade Runner, you're like, okay, I see what's kind of missing from this mm. movie. Like, not 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 that the movie should be more like the novella, because it's actually, it's a perfect movie. But um, the Philip K. Dickiness of this, I do think, is is contributing to, to what you're talking about, Ryan. Because he, te- he tends to envision a future that is primarily ridiculous, and then work from, like, that position. Because mm. it puts us outside ourselves to see like some guy crying over his electric sheep that he's afraid everyone's going to find out is fake instead of real and so like the we were talking about like the balls like the the, someone's name being etched onto a ball and dropping down all that stuff i think is he's celebrating you know the philip k dick way of looking at the future and this reminds me of like when we were kids and when comic book movies were like well we have to take the shield off the punisher right what if it looks too much like a comic book you know that's like blade runner and now fuck it man what's the thing that everybody loves about the comic book let's throw it in there that's what spielberg did he's like well i i think that the absurdity is good and i trust my audience i do kind of think minority report is better than blade runner Oh, that's a lot. That's insane. You know why it's not, Ryan? You know why ultimately it's not? Because he is such an adept storyteller that I think he really got spooked by the idea that people were going to leave this movie being like, wait, what happened? And so Mm. he allows himself to have a couple expository snacks where characters like do a little (laughs) bit. Like, for instance, that's why the lady's so weird in the in the greenhouse. It's because the actress is like, holy shit. All I'm doing is saying what's like been. Can I please kiss somebody like, for fuck's sake? Because what do you do? Like, I I can't declaim, you you know, expository paragraph after expository paragraph and then play to these plants that are not even here because you're going to just doodle them in later. But I have to, like, touch them and rub my face on them. I hear you. And I also think that this movie, for about the last 30 minutes, as Elroyian, James Elroyian as it gets, um, I think the last 30 minutes, Spielberg loses a little bit of interest because he has to <laughs> perfectly tie up all of these, the murder plot, right? The, the noir plot. Points, plot. Right. I, I can see that totally happening. But I think that the first two hours are so fucking wacky that yeah. I'm, just, I'm just there for it. You so know, I, and, and, if- I, I don't think it gets bad. I think it gets perfunctory it gets like he runs out of time is what it feels like so it feels like he can't do world building anymore (laughs) right and And he all he wanted to do with this movie was the world build imagine you just like take a little bit of the explanation out but you still make it clear to the audience broadly what happens Mm -hmm. and then you let them in a quiet post movie way piece together what happened i think you're gonna have a stronger like a stronger product than this and what does that ryan you're right it's blade runner Blade Runner <laughs> takes out a lot of that ex- exposition and leaves it for the audience to spend decades arguing about. And that is like what gives it, I think, a second life that is more robust than Minority Report. Yeah, I mean, if you want me to admit that I was wrong, you know, like I, I'm on a Minority Report high. I just <laughs> I just went into an alleyway and bought some of that fucking nose drug uh, <laughs> from a guy with no eyes. Um but yeah, like I just I think that this movie is so perfectly put together for a different uh, need or audience 
that uh, you know, I think that a lot of its faults are perfectly foiled with a lot of Blade Runner's faults, which I I sometimes think that Blade Runner isn't exactly sure what it's doing, and Minority Report is overly sure what it's doing. Well, we could talk about that forever, but we have contractually obligated time allotments for segments, so we will end now (laughs) and talk about something completely different when we come back. Mount Rushmore! Yes, here we are in the neo-futuristic, utopian-dystopian Mount Rushmore. Today we are building our mountain to the villains of 2002. And we're going to get into what that means starting now. Ryan, who is your first submission for the 2002 Villain Mountain? Like, do you want to do a Villain Mountain of all time? Because I could do that one, too, with George W. Bush. Oh! Uh, What a... Just... uh, We are slightly after 2001, when that's when 9-11 happened, and I'm not sure anything else did. Um, the ramifications of that we've been talking about really all season. I think that we're going to get to it tonight with Minority Report. Um, but this guy, <laughs> what a guy. What a fucking guy. It sent us into war this year, I think, is the most important thing. Yeah, we, 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 the war started in 03, but this was him him lying and beating the drum and being like, there's stuff over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's know. where the, they, got the, the whole, they, got, they got the whole posse to come out and be like, oh, man. We've seen this stuff. Can we show it to you? Uh, no, obviously. That's a stupid question. But we have seen it. Um, we know that it's real. And that's why we're going to go to war, because uh, we've got real stuff. And they kind of ruined the like, whole that world. has nothing to do with the attack. Well, shut up. Shut up. Do you hate America? Oh shut God. up. You tell me this has nothing to do with that attack. And he would do that thing America. when you were talking where you put one finger over your lips during Congress? Like, what? What? Uh, yeah. W is straight to the top of the mountain. The only Mount Rushmore that would let him on it. You know what? <laughs> What's crazy about him, though, is um, kind of the first president where we didn't have... We had Will Ferrell, but not like a ton of easy to recreate impressions of. Uh-huh. That just makes it a little bit harder. That does make it harder. It really does. Can we, on the mountain, can we put... um? The shoe, like whizzing by him, <laughs> or yes. Do you remember the pretzel he choked on and almost oh, died? Oh man! <laughs> yeah, they say that like he almost died. Then, like that he fell like over in such a way or... where it caused him to like cough up the pretzel. But he also bonked his noggin real good, uh, which is one of his strongest areas. Like <laughs> the guy's a thick skull. <laughs> I do, but yeah, the chocolate part yeah. of the Bush presidency is the best part. Just somebody was like. Some mom who was tired of his shit was like, you know what? Sandal's coming off and it's going right for your head. (laughs) (laughs) Greg, who is your submission? I'm going to go a little bit different direction, um, but I think also a 2002 baddie for sure. I got to go Osama bin Laden, my man. Uh, Everywhere you went, this guy's uh, face was on dartboards. That's such a telltale sign, right? Yeah, yeah. That you are. You're absolutely a villain. And, you know, um, the worst part of the, the the George W. Bush stuff is that it made us be the bad guy in the face of the fact that we were actually the victim. Like, we went from being the victim to the bad guy in, like, half a second. We were that dude at the mm-hmm. party who, like, someone spills on his shirt and then just fights every guy in there. <laughs> uh, I mean, and- just to describe to everyone what the end of 01 was and all of 02, Rudy Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani was a superhero. 
So it was yeah. crazy times. Because he happened to be mayor when New York got attacked. That's why he's famous and people love him. That's because crazy. He, if he, I was mayor, it wouldn't have happened, but no big deal. It is such uh it makes such an important claim though for being a functional alcoholic. Like as long as it's functional, man, you go out there and be the mayor. But now Rudy is just like he's way down the chain, dude. <laughs> he's deep in it. That bitch probably has cirrhosis. Of the liver. <laughs> Of the oh no, I was like of the pinky toes, sure, but not of the liver. Uh, I I uh, oh, I don't on. know why. Bin Laden's on the maybe pile for me right now. Is it because he's so maybe. tall? You love a tall guy, you bitch. I love a tall guy. I'm just too attracted to him, <laughs> and uh, it might just be too frozen in O one for me with him. By O two, you were over it. It was nine eleven. There was only Talk three months about left. Something else. <laughs> All right, Ryan, what do you got next? Uh, I'm going to go with the, I think, the tabloid story of the year that kept us the most interested. Uh, Washington, D.C. had snipers. Oh, God, yeah. Just sniping people. Uh, it was like a older guy and a younger guy. And they people in the area were just like afraid to go outside. And that's so much scarier than, well, all violence with guns is scary. But like just to think that there were snipers around you. Is, was probably a new friends? feeling for a lot of people. Or like they competitors and hated when they one-upped each other. <laughs> this is not the movie Enemy at the Gates, Mike. It was like the guy trained a kid to be yeah. a sniper and modified his car so that the kid could lay down and fire out of the back of it. Like it was a very detailed plan That's... and obviously completely bonkers. And then I, I think they just absolutely randomly went out there and shot people. That's nuts. Now people just go to a music festival and get all their job done in one hit. You don't really cause that terror over a city for a amount of time. Yeah, no, we've progressed. I can see the pros and cons of both. <laughs> uh, I'm going to put DC Sniper on the maybe pile as well. Greg, what do you got? All right. 2002 had villains in real life, sure. Um, but this is movie of the year. So if you don't mind, I'm going to talk about some movie villains. And one of them is the Green Goblin. Oh, my God. This guy's so bad. Uh, <laughs> flying around on his little scooter, laughing up a storm. Like, I guess... To attack a that. Macy Gray concert. Yeah, dude. Throwing throwing pumpkins. I have to say, all kidding aside, th- there's no way the Green Goblin should have worked as a character, a live-action character on screen. And the fact that they really did basically pull it off is just so magical, and I'm so excited. But... He's a bad guy, and I don't like him. I mean, it's pretty simple he math. Uh, who's Defoe? Willem's Defoe. You know, it's it's easy. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> oh, man. Gonna we could wrap early tonight. Ryan. You get one for that, Ryan. But that is Greg's Green Goblin on the mountain. Yeah. Right next to Bush. <laughs> Equally bad in my mind at the time. And now, Ryan. Uh, George Bush is on the mountain. How about a different George? Mike, we uh, were three years out from The Phantom Menace, and we were thought, okay, well, it'll pick up later. And then George Lucas wrote and directed Attack of the Clones. And that was it. We, were, we, we knew for sure. This Remember was, when they this was announced bad. the name? <laughs> they were like, okay, we got an announcement. The name's out. And we were like, I still think we were, like you said, Ryan, we were still so full of hope. Mm. <laughs> and then they were like, Attack of the Clones. And I have to say, there uh, some some cracks formed in the armor. It was like, <laughs> hmm, bad, bad start. 
I th- there are good and bad stuff, and I'm sure there's good stuff with clones and them. Dolly the sheep, good clone, orphan black. But <laughs> I do feel like since the '90s, uh, anything with clone in the title makes the world go. Oh, that's gonna be horse shit. Multiverse? Oh yeah, no multiverse. No, yeah. sure, totally clones. No multiverse. With that. Fuck yes, yeah. Our our very first season of movie of the year was 99 and we like strongly considered doing phantom menace because even though none of us wanted to watch it again we just thought it was important it was a big deal in movie history uh in the o2 bracket we picked 16 movies and didn't even give attack of the clones (laughs) a second consideration because it's just horse there's been a huge revival of like well maybe we were too harsh on them or uh more common you know the generation after you guys the three of us they think that those Star Wars are the real Star Wars. Yeah. Fuck them. Fuck them. I yeah, don't, they're like, idiots. We're, we're not going to do an episode about that because of that. Okay? Like, we're just not going to do it. Oh, because it'll get us more listeners and make our show popular and listenable to? No. We're not fucking caving in to the zillennial terrorism. Uh, George Lucas is going to go on this mountain. Uh, yes, Bin Laden is on the maybe pile. Uh, you called, I was like, so. You called zillennial terrorists, but then Osama Bin Laden is not on there. I was going to say maybe somebody would say Count Dooku, but uh, the George Lucas as the villain, uh, that tickled me. <laughs> Gregory. There's a lot of movies that we're talking about uh, on, on this show. 16, if you ask some people. Um, <laughs> but a movie that we will probably not talk about is Cube 2, Hypercube, from the Sci-Fi <laughs> Channel. We're not going to talk about the Hypercube? We are not going to talk about Cube, and we're not going to talk about Cube 2. Hypercube. But I would submit <laughs> that in the movie Cube 2 Hypercube, the cube itself functions as the villain. And so I would like to submit a cube, specifically <laughs> the Hypercube. The Hypercube. From Cube 2 Hypercube. <laughs> and I, if what anybody has any questions, like? I could, I'll take a couple. <laughs> it, you ever like have so many questions you don't even know where to start? <laughs> Have you guys seen well, I, uh, Cube 2, Hypercube? I've only seen Slow Cube, the first one. Is this Ryan, the cu- you've seen Gleaming the Cube, right? Yeah, I was going to say, is this the cube that Christian Slater skateboarded against? <laughs> he skateboarded against the cube? Like, who will get the girl? We're going to skateboard. Do Me yourself and this cube. Oh, it's favorite. not a joke, Mike. It's a serious skateboarding situation. If, it's ever, if you ever find yourself, it's late at night, and you just smoked a bunch of pot, and it's 2002, and you're me... And your <laughs> girlfriend at the time, Kelly, is already falling asleep. Wake her up to watch Cube 2 Hypercube. It will change your lives, and it will become a foundational I'm, part of your I'm, couple story. I'm so sorry. She was asleep, and yes. you, were, you were like, yeah. you have to wake up now. For Cube 2. Cube 2 Hypercube is on. I should say, we had not seen Cube 1. Later, Years <laughs> later, we would see Cube 1, and it, it no cannot need. hold up to the heights that you reach in cube two this is one of the only times i've ever heard where the question will i understand it i have not seen cube one (laughs) is an actually good question (laughs) well i might watch hypercube and i i we're in speed round time uh (laughs) even though we're already at cube so maybe we don't need a speed round but every uh, each of you give me two real quick ryan give me one um uh, mike i only have one left and this is about a movie but it's from 2016 Oh, a 2016 uh, movie that takes place in 2002. The movie's called Spotlight. The villain is the Catholic Church of Boston, who in 2002 we found out were just doing some things. See, my problem with Catholic Church 
for O2 is just like Friends can't win TV comedy of any of the year in the 90s the because owned all the 90s. Mountain. They are the villains of so many decades. This is when the Boston Globe broke the story. Yes. Greg, do you have a final one? Chris Do you Cooper. have something that could compete with Cube? Chris Cooper, the actor. Uh, if you need, you're like, we got to bring in somebody who's a real piece of shit. He was like kind of in that piece of shit casting <laughs> for a while. Even when they brought him into adaptation, they're like, okay, this guy's kind of the main character, but he's also a huge piece of shit. Get Chrissy Coops <laughs> on this one. This feels like a Tim Robinson skit. <laughs> and uh for my last one i'm gonna go with the ring girl um not the ones that hold up the numbers during the fight i mean the one that comes out of the yeah, tv heroes. when you samara uh yeah sure we'll go with that like honestly like if you are gonna come out of my tv and kill me that's villainous just remember it samara samara it's always samara <laughs> she's only a tv away right your on your maybe pile right now is osama bin laden dc snipers Cube 2 Hypercube, the Catholic Church, Chris Cooper. Nope, I wrote Chris Cube down. <laughs> and <laughs> Chris Cooper. Girl. Chris Cooper uh, cannot be a real thing. Your mountain of 2002 villains is George W. Bush, George W. Lucas, George, I wrote GG knowing George W. Goblin, and George W. Bin Laden. <laughs> that is your villains of 2002. Man, what an evil fucking year that was. <laughs> and I'm sure it was always fine after that. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. More Minority Report. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to pop filter everything mike everything ryan everything greg everything cassie everything is there at yourpopfilter.com while you're there go to yourpopfilter.com slash amazon make that your new amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there that way we get a little piece of the action and amazon doesn't make sure you're also listening to everything that pop filter has to offer which includes the superhero show show a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property. And Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show. That's Movie of the Year. And that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! It has been said from on high... That Tom Cruise will forever play Tom Cruise for the rest of time. And we will never again see the kind of three-dimensional performances we got from Tom Cruise in 1999 with Magnolia and Eyes Wide Shut. Where does Chief John Anderson land in the Cruise oeuvre? Uh, I'm going to say... Is he Cruise or is he a character? I, I think that this is like... This, this is to like Mission Impossible movies or Top Gun movies. Like This seems closer to Magnolia and Eyes Wide Shut. Like, this is the last performance I think we get of him. Dude, he let himself be portrayed as a drug addict. Like That's I, crazy. I think, like, that like, would never happen. At the time, I, I don't think that that made any sort of impression on me at all. But now, where he had, like, he chooses the directors, he, he clearly, like, chooses angles that he'll be in in different shots. Like, he is so punctilious about his, like, uh, public persona way more than movies like i mean he thinks he's bigger than movies when 
he stopped to buy drugs in this, even though I've seen this movie a few times, I still like almost gasped. Not Tom Cruise. Yeah, <laughs> no, you can't sell Tom Cruise. He's just he's out there doing his Tom Cruise running. <laughs> You're watching him run, and next thing you know, he's gonna be taking a hit of whatever that drug is. And it's called like, uh, it's heroin, heroin, but with like an N. Yeah, Neurosin, I think. Neuroin. Neuroin, yeah. Neuroin. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like he like there's a conversation between. Tom Cruise and his boss slash mentor Max von Sydow plays him, um, where he's like, uh, I, are, "Why are you in the alleyway at night? Are you buying drugs?" And Tom Cruise is like, "No." And then the the cop, the mentor is like, "Yeah, you are." And they just yeah. move on, like, yeah, "Yeah, no, that's a thing." And then when he and anytime he meets a new person, he's just a piece of shit, you know. Like, and I just don't think that the Christopher McQuarrie directed Tom Cruise PR like crazy movies would ever let a single line of dialogue from this movie pass in a 2023 movie. Because now he always has to look in the best light. Right. He can't be a nuanced character. And because what? Like, he has he has begun this like process where there is a like blurrier line between who he is and who his characters are. I mean, Greg said he was bigger than the Oscars uh, or movies. He's bigger than the Oscars. He didn't show up for fear that he would have to like the camera would be on him during Scientology jokes. And like, I'm not coming to the Oscars, which was once the biggest night in entertainment, because I'm Tom Cruise now. I'd be so much more worried that they would Jimmy Kimmel would get my monotooth and they would highlight that than Scientology. <laughs> you can't uh, unsee it. You know that this his acting in this reminded me a lot of his character from Magnolia because of that way where he is like so abrasive and so like eyes on me, everybody like attend to me now the way he like actively courts the other guys in the room like kind of cheering him on as he does the um swiping <laughs> that is most of his job but there's like he is clearly up to something suspicious right like something happened he saw something he turns off the witness screens oh yeah right. which th- never gets brought up again and that his like right hand man the guy who like hits buttons for him uh he turns around and says hey i heard there was some cake can you go grab me that cake? The guy knows Tom Cruise is doing something right. sp- suspicious, and his only the only thing he can say is like, "I want some cake too. I'll get some for you and for me for sure." Tom Cruise, I will absolutely do that, well, and that's how he is. Just that's how he's like demanded to be treated. He's so well liked that the technician is like, yeah, "I like dude. you, man. I'll give you two minutes." <laughs> like, he's a dick to the technician, but still, that's the that's the thing. Like we, I think we get to see him be as abrasive as he is, but we see how the world treats him for acting that way because this is a movie that is about how if you have power in the world, the world just kind of like accommodates you constantly. And so we see that he's a dick, but his buddy, Jad, who goes to get him cake, he doesn't want to know what he is not supposed to know because... That's like finding out that Santa Claus isn't real. And because Cruz (laughs) is like in this, uh, Anderton is like an alpha male. And so that's why when the guy that like sees to the oracles says, I like you, why would he possibly like John Anderton? No, it's that because- is like a PA walking in on Weinstein and an actress being like, Harvey, I like you. I'll, you know what? Yeah, I like you. Out. That's nothing about liking you. It's you have so much power and prestige and I have nothing. And I'm a little weirdo. And we see like, we get to see that guy being a gross little weirdo. Don't we? But yeah. don't, don't we, we folks? Don't? <laughs> Once again, just like with Magnolia, just like with Eyes Wide Shut, two other movie of the year episodes, I I find myself not being able to talk about Tom Cruise's performance without talking about his stardom and mm-hmm. what the movie says about it. And he is walking through this movie, like you said, Greg, like I am 
Tom, I have Tom Cruise in this stuff, and he relies on it as right. one of the tools in his tool belt. You know, like John Anderton dedicated his life to this thing that he now mm. found a fault in because it's pointing the finger at him, and he's like, "Well, I'm Tom Cruise. That's not going to happen to me." And then just runs, runs until he's safe. And if the, it, it, switch the roles, you know, like if Colin Farrell played. John Anderton and Tom Cruise did a cameo as like the the FBI guy who was going to mm-hmm. take over. The movie completely changes because Colin Farrell is really trying to become some different, uh, more than like more, right. have more than one note like he does sort of in this movie, and it, it just loses that Tom Cruise-iness of the Anderton role. Yeah, the Tom Cruise-ness wouldn't be there. It would be oh look at how panicked this guy is that his world's crumbling. I never believe that Tom Cruise is panicked. He's always like annoyed. And is going to fucking win. I mean, there's a part where um, when Agatha is at the cottage where the room is filled with cops and both my face and Tom Cruise's face says he'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, hap- well, he's not he's not anxious, but he's experiencing a profound tension, which is mm-hmm. he has to he suddenly has to hold two different worldviews in his mind at the same time, which is what he literally is doing. Right. Because he he has to hold the future that pre-crime predicts and the future that he tries to see for himself in his head at the same time. And while he's doing that, we see him exceptionally overwrought. But part of his character characterization is that he just doesn't actually panic. I mean, the end of that scene, Ryan, is he decides he's going to run out of that room, and he gets like one step before the cops like, "No, I'm standing right here. <laughs> I have like, a collar right here, bro. Like, <laughs> you can't run." Plus, I think he, they do a really good job, and I think he does with like in a movie where there's so many parts where people just like say the thing, the way things work in this world. So many expository parts, like we've been talking about, they don't really say that much about the halos, but Tom Cruise yeah. does a really good job. Being like, I don't want that thing on my head. Yeah. And you see that, like, pass over his face several times, such that by the time it comes out, and you as the audience, you know, okay, he's going to, they're going to put this on him. I felt like a real actual shiver. I, I mean, without they, anybody ever saying what it's like to have that halo on. They've created purgatory on Earth. I mean, it's probably right. worse than purgatory. And that's another thing that Tom Cruise is able to do in this movie is uh, your ex wife, the person who left you, for Tom Cruise, she left you for because you're so Tom Cruise or because the dead kid, or I think it's a semblance of like a couple of things. Um, I am going to, through scriptiness, save you from purgatory. And I bought it the entire time too because if John Anderton told me anything, I would be running down there and saving him as well because it's Tom fucking Cruise. Well, I mean, you don't he's want to make him a... listen to Buster Scruggs' organ for eternity. <laughs> and I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll probably talk about this, but like he is in the world of that movie, he is a religious figure. Mm-hmm. Like, he is the actual avatar of pre-crime. He is the one who takes the information and then translates it. So he's actually a priest, right? That's what the old oracles did. Somebody would freak out and say a bunch of crap, and then the priest would say, hey, here's what that means, by the way. And he's that person. So he is literally, like, a priest. And so they look at him in religious terms, and the audience does, too, because he's shot in a lot of religious terms. Yes, I, I mean, like... Spielberg's camera loves him. All cameras do. But like this is this is more than Ethan Hunt. This is more than Pete Mitchell from Maverick. This is like this is sort of a if we can't talk to our gods and we can't because they're either in heaven or in the milk water, then we have John Anderton. 
Right. I like the, the the difference between how people react to him, which is like admiration and fear, even before he's on the run from the law. And then when they see Agatha in the world, just dropping to their knees. And that's like the scumbag, right? Who realizes who Agatha is. And he's just like, oh God, and he crosses himself. It is, what if this priest, this cool renegade priest is on the run with God? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Road trip movie. <laughs> Midnight Run. That's Midnight Run 2. Does, I, I guess... I see what you guys are saying now. You you have convinced me because at first I was like, this feels like Tom Cruise. But I, I think it's because Mackie in Magnolia is bigger and Mackie is acting in the world of Magnolia, right? Where here, oh, yeah. I do think Atherton buys his own bullshit as that semi-religious figure for a while. Well, I mean, and this is a subtler role. How many religious people do you know that like, if they don't keep their head down and keep running with their beliefs and their faith, if they ever stick their head up, their whole world crumbles? And isn't right. like isn't that everybody's main goal is just to not have your world crumble around you? He's doing yeah. that too. He just doesn't know it until he gets new eyes, until literally and figuratively, until he can see the world from a different light, like we've been talking about. And it's still it's not like it all changes then. When he's in the room with Crow, uh Agatha's like, Hey, you know your future, so you don't have to do it. And you can see it run across his face of like, But I saw my future, so I have to do my future. Yeah. This is the thing I believe, so I have to do it, because if I believe in it, like and, man, and I have to say the literary tradition, especially that this very much purposefully anchors itself in with like the oracle structure, the literary tradition says your future is inescapable. It's as inescapable mm-hmm. as your past. Like it is written for you and you just have to experience it. And so it's an actual kind of a shock to see when he decides not to like make the future happen because you are trained as like someone who takes in these stories to be like, well, no, that it's the future and you saw it. So if you saw it, it already right. happened. And it, like, and it, the, the, the surprise of that moment is really like well-earned in this movie, which is the main goal of police everywhere in this movie and out of here, uh, out of this movie is just to be like, to read people like literature and be like, I, I can predict everything you're going to do because I have these <laughs> facts about you, right. Based on your, Color or religion or whatever. I, if we could pick up one FYC moment real quick from that murder scene, um, he thought that there was, a, for a brief second, he thought his son was alive. And I know that this movie right. is all about how Tom Cruise is a star, much like all of his movies are. It's as much about Tom Cruise as it is the character he's playing. But for a brief second, he gets some hope that his son is alive and then quickly realizes again that that's not the case. Th- this is That's a roller coaster of a scene. And... We talked. Is Tom Cruise a great actor? He makes it hard for us to answer that question. He specifically goes out and makes it hard for. But in moments like that, the answer is yes. The answer is yeah. fucking yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, w- I would, I would point that same moment that when you watch him figure it out because, and the audience has taken that same journey with him because when you see his wife, you realize, oh wait, I was assuming she was dead mm-hmm. because that's how these movies usually work, but she's still alive, and then you realize like wait, do they know that the kid's dead? And then for that moment where he's like, wait, is he, is Sean still alive? As the audience member, you're like, I think he might be. <gasps> oh, oh my God, sweet. who's it going to be? Is it going to be one of the milk kids? Is it going to be? And so like that, <laughs> that moment, you are right there along with him experiencing that. And you can see him. I like what Cruz does here because you can see his body being like, nah, dude, let's shoot this guy. And he's like actively telling his body, no, we're not going to do that. Mm. And it so perfectly mirrors the if you know your future you'll just do it you see him literally physically fight with himself not to actually pull the trigger on this guy and he's moving against both future and like his body in the same moment we've also developed within the last 
15 minutes of the movie from the point Greg's talking about before to him having sort of a daddy role, have a, a fatherly role uh, with <laughs> Agatha. So now her screaming is coming into play as well. We're like, I can't disappoint another mentee or childlike figure or whatever you want to call it. So all of this stuff is going on. I don't know what else you need to declare someone a great actor. Like, I'm in the bag, clearly, but still. Right. A little yeah. gold bald man. Maybe that. Yeah, I guess we could use one of those. He's very much like a movie of the year, like, actor. Like, in the same way mm-hmm. that Spielberg is, like, our director. He just makes pure Hollywood beautiful movies that still give you enough to talk about. You know, enough right. to get excited about. Right. We love the tiny little independent foreign movies. But, man, when you put out something like this, like, that's going to be a two-hour episode, guys. It's going to be a two-hour episode. Well, we, we have to take a break from talking about Tom Cruise to uh, our next segment is uh, it's all about Tom Cruise, but now we get to talk about the rest of his career. Taste Buds, it is time to look at Tom Cruise's career in one of the only ways we know how, with a motherfucking draft. Drafted up. Man, so many of those should be drops does is drop ever like get pissed or like call his agent that we just, just doing the drops with their mouths what are they doing yeah like <laughs> is there gonna be like I'm a here. strike or something you pay me just use me Drophead just threw my mouse at me uh <laughs> we will do a quick three round draft to build the most epic tom cruise team this team has to break into the burj khalifa no way he's done that in one of his movies. What hasn't he climbed in one of his movies? What hasn't he climbed? Are you Mount kidding me? Rushmore. He has to break into the Richie Rich version of Mount Rushmore to get the Richie the Rich's vault, which is actually just filled with nostalgia and not gold, and you would all know that if you watched the nineteen ninety six movie Richard Rich. But Star- Richard Rich was his father, starring Macaulay Culkin. Is this uh, so this is a little action y though? Like my first pick is the guy from Lions for Lambs. Is that a bad pick? I I mean Maybe he's the brains. Okay. Because you have to have heart, brains, and demolition expert. Exactly. <laughs> and that's how you make Captain Planet. So. He's our hero. The draft order is Greg, Ryan, Mike. It is Serpentine, as most things are. Greg, take it away. When you're talking about Cruz, are you, do you want him in the plane or do you want him on the plane? And this is the, this is the dilemma for everybody with the first pick in this draft. And I... I got everything going perfectly. You want him in the plane probably, but this is not a perfect world. So I'm going to go with outside on the outside of the plane. Ethan Hunt of the Mission Impossible Great. franchise. Is Mike screwed by getting the third pick here? Like, are the first two picks so obvious and then Mike is fucked? Yes. Yeah. One, one hundred percent, Ryan. Uh, Ethan Hunt can drive the tires off a car. He can stand on the outside of a plane. Um, he can probably use a jetpack better than the fools in this movie. And he does it all with class and aplomb. Again, I will point out that the fools in the jetpack were not Tom Cruise. If Tom Cruise put on that jetpack, he would have flown to space, high-fived the moon, and came back down to give everybody kisses. I think contractually there's a reason he's not in the jetpacks here. Because he saw it and went, I don't want to look like a fucking idiot, Steven. <laughs> or what if he was like, I don't want that technology and equipment, and then levitated for five minutes. Yeah. Said, I don't like, need that. And then whispered, gave Steve a hug, and just went, don't tell anybody. <laughs> All right. I think that is uh, 
not just a great first pick, the only first pick. And Greg got a point for how good that pick was. Ryan? I um, I don't know what my second pick would have been if we had done this a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But for Pete Mitchell to get out of that plane in the last 30 minutes of Top Gun Maverick and become Ethan Hunt just because that's how <laughs> Tom Cruise do now. He was like, hey, Miles Teller. Uh, I'm sorry, whatever your character's name is. Let's go fucking do some spy shit because I'm I'm not Ethan Hunt. I'm not Pete Mitchell. I'm Tom fucking Cruise. I'm, I'm not acting right now. These are real Russians. Let's go. <laughs> real somethings. Looks at the oh, camera yeah. and says, I'm not Pete Mitchell. I'm Tom Cruise. Thank you for coming to the movie theater tonight. All right, Miles Teller, let's go. Uh, I'm, ta- I'm in support of whatever you're in support of, viewer. <laughs> I'm taking one. This Pete is Mitchell. a rogue nation. We all can admit that rogue nations are not great, right? No matter where you stand politically. Yeah, dude. If there's just a nation that's just gone rogue, forget about it. Uh, can I, uh, I? I don't know if this is fair to ask right now, and I'm not calling for any like immediate Congress, but is this guy important to you guys? Like, is he a one day Hall of Famer? Have you always rolled your eyes at his? kind of lameness or what do you think about Tom i think Chris? i'm just dis- I, I i am discovering over the course of this particular episode that i was not fully in contact with how much i'm actually into this performer um i think every time i see him in a movie i'm always like oh yeah he's like way better than i remember mm-hmm. this movie and this specifically this series of conversations about this movie is making me realize well yeah that he's like emblematic of the of the show really that he is kind of a bridge between all the different parts of movies that are so great, including the parts that are spectacle and including the parts that are a lot of heart. I mean, we and got hit, we got slapped twice in the face with that first 99 season, but yeah, like right. he's just going to keep coming up. And and since since I was a kid, I don't want to give any of my picks away, but yeah, there was stuff that came out when I was a kid that made sunk his teeth into me. I think oh, if you Mike's grew up when legend. we did. Mike's picking legend uh, with his next yep. pick. The cheese dickiness of who he actually was at the time. Uh made you be like fuck that guy he's lame but yeah he's great in movies ignore his terrible cultishness he's great in movies yeah all right mike what you have two picks in a row why don't you uh take it away uh this character's name i believe is cage live die repeat uh (laughs) it is his character from edge of tomorrow and uh i mean he's basically immortal he will continue to live he will continue to die he will continue to repeat until he becomes the ultimate weapon and take on what are they fighting that bugs Probably yeah, it's bugs. like Starship Troopers came to attack this movie as well. Uh, yeah. Do you know who directed that movie, Mike? It was uh, one Douglas Lyman from Born Identity. Uh, I, I think he directed the Born Identity. I do know that he directed the first two episodes of the OC. Oh, and the OC. <laughs> I, I was looking for the mic button on Drop Pad, and there isn't one, which feels what? weird. <laughs> so my first pick is Edge Lived, I Repeat. My second pick uh, Ryan had to blow up my spot. It is called Jack Legend. This is a Tom Jack Cruise who wears around in uh, metal chain ma- or gold chain mail from the waist up, just little undies from the waist down. This is, of course, when you fight with no pants on and you kill the goddamn devil himself. Jack Legend uh, is his most powerful character ever. Uh, the only movie in the history of his career that was absolutely stolen from him by a different character. The devil? Tim Curry. As Tim Curry, Curry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I'm just throwing that out there. I, I don't know if that's true, but like, I feel like that's the only movie where some other actor stepped onto the set and was like, uh, this is my movie now, bitch. And Tom Cruise went, uh, you made me wear no pants, so I have no power here. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Great choice, right. Mike. Great choice. Thank you. I knew, I, I knew 
See, Greg and I, that's why we get along. Yeah. Or Greg's my best friend. He brings me blueberry muffins, and we just sit and talk about how great Legend is for a half an hour. <laughs> you guys could record that conversation and release it. No, that's just for us. What the just fuck? Greg it and Mike time. saucy. Greg, you're up next. I am up next. Is it me? Uh, isn't it Ryan, though? Yeah. Mm, it's Ryan. I don't remember this movie at all, but I'm. it's fighting time, and I watched a TV show recently. So I'm going to say watched a TV show. I watched a TV show recently. Uh, so I'm going to say Lestat de Lion Court is my second fighter on my team because, man, is that guy powerful. Was this a good movie that Tom Cruise was in? No. Uh, nobody says that it was. But um, based on what he can do in the TV show I recently watched, powerful fighter. <laughs> yeah, they kind of scaled him up a little bit uh, <laughs> between the movie and that show. The whole, like, I can control everyone with my mind. I can just yeah. stop time. Not even, like, human perception of time. I can literally time stop time. But, I mean... It, that is uh, crazy, not normal vampire power. If you uh, if Tom Cruise was to change his name, like, Tom Cruise is a little basic, it would be Lestat de Lioncourt. So, yeah, yes. dude. He could fly that in is, that, so I guess that's a pretty good power. Yeah, but... He is going to be overdramatic and ruin the mission for everybody, probably at some point. Can he fly right next to like an F nineteen jet, and they can give each other the middle finger? Oh shit, that would be pretty dope. Yeah, that's on. All right, that's on my team. That's how you attack Mount Rushmore, <laughs> Gregory. So are th- these two. are teams of fighters then, right? They're teams of heisters, fighters. Okay, heart, brains, but- demolition expert. Oh, Tom Cruise, to the best of my knowledge, Tom Cruise has only one time played a samurai. And this happened to be <laughs> the last samurai. <laughs> I'm picking Nathan Algren, the uh, American soldier who was enlisted to help train the uh, separatist Japanese fighters and try to form them into a, a little fighting corps before they just got absolutely blown away by the government. Greg, why even give all that build-up for our favorite uh, White Savior movie? Just say Nathan Algren. We don't need the title. We all know <laughs> that character. Nathan, Nathan. The we- Last Samurai is a movie that invites us to uh, see a Japan that only exists in the imagination of white people. <laughs> and that is like one of our favorite things to do as a culture is to make an imagined version of Japan and then mm-hmm. go to there. Already a a, a real place with real people that you could contact about no. what they're like. No, thank you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, then, then, then I'll go to Narnia. All right. <laughs> but because um, he can wield a sword and like a gun and a cannon, um, I'm going to go. All at him. once? How many arms does this guy have? Well, he's the last samurai. Mike. He's the last fucking samurai. He has all the arms of all the samurai. <laughs> Greg, what is your final pick? My final pick. What if these guys get in a scrape? And they're gonna need to maybe get out of get out of a situation not with martial conduct, but maybe with court martials. Oh shit! I'm gonna pick Lieutenant Daniel Caffey. Uh, we want him on that wall. We need him on that wall. Uh, and I know he's not the character that was actually on the wall, but I don't think that's important because he was in that movie. Daniel Caffey says in that movie what every Taco Bell worker says to greg did you order that code red (laughs) (laughs) i thought you were gonna say uh does thou wish to live deliciously (laughs) um i have to say i saw this movie when i was a kid and i don't know if i thought that i was gonna think about it all the time 
But <laughs> is A Few Good Men kind of one of the most important movies of its time? Because it is exactly about the central conflict of the current American status, which is like, we do want You want me on that peace. wall. Yeah, but we, we want to tell our soldiers, like, but do it in a nice way. <laughs> yeah. Do it with the nice bombs. Also, it was before... Um, we knew the name Aaron Sorkin, where he was like, well, I want you to know the name, but nobody knows the name. So, like, uh, the dialogue, it's just amazing. After Snappy. At a certain point, the newsroom comes out where he's like, I'm Aaron Sorkin. And it's <laughs> impossible to watch. But if you could... 35% of 55% is where America stands statistically. <laughs> newsroom. Ryan, your final pick. Um, I am going to go... I mean, like, there's one I'm thinking about, but I think I'm going... You know who I want on the wall? I want John Anderton. Is that okay? Yeah. I don't think there's anything against that. It's not, an, it's not a John Anderton exclusive draft. This this uh, draft is not brought to you by John Anderton. There's a couple that like I don't want to take from Mike, although I never would because he picks things like the guy from Legend. But, uh, His name which is was Jack. a solid pick, and the fans yeah. at home were like, yep, I'm right You're with alone on your wall right no, now. Absolutely Ryan. not. I'm speaking for literally everyone listening right now. Mike is a dumb, dumb idiot. Uh, John Anderton, I think, is the, the person to bring this team to. Guys, can you even imagine just watching, uh, for all of our teams, just three Tom Cruises cruising it out? That's the dream. Why doesn't Cruise the Clumps? Why don't we get that? Why don't we get where he's Tom all the characters? Cruise. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise? Uh, my last pick is we're in there, and there's one final guy, like guard, and who are you going to do to do some just like brutal, cold assassination? It's Vincent Collateral from the movie yeah. Vincent. This is the <laughs> one that I was debating about. Right? Because, like, obviously not a good guy. But, like, when heads just need to get shot, isn't this the guy that you got to bring? You don't in? want a good guy. That's who you want on the wall. So we we have uh, our heart, our brain, our demolition man. Let's go uh, through the order, starting with you, Greg. Which of your Tom Cruises is which of those three roles? <laughs> Ryan, you can read, read, read Greg his team. Read us each our team. Greg took we'll Ethan go. Hunt from Ethan, the Mission Impossible movies. Uh, Nathan Algren, obviously from The Last Samurai, and then Lieutenant Daniel Cappy. Uh. Smarts, hearts, demolition experts. Uh, smarts is the lawyer. Demolition expert, definitely uh, Ethan Hunt. And what was the last category? Heart. Heart will be Nathan Algren. Man, who had more heart than him? He Nobody. was the That's last, the last samurai. samurai. Ryan, what about you? Who's your team and what are their designations? Uh, my team is Pete, Maverick Mitchell, Lestat, Day, Lioncourt, and John Minority Reporter Anderton. Um, obviously, my brain is Anderton, my heart is Mitchell, and my demolitions expert is Lionel Lestat de Lionheart. <laughs> Lionel. I am the bomb. Perhaps we could destroy them by drinking all their blood? I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> yes, we know and, Lestat. Uh, That's what your plan every <laughs> night. You're always just throwing it out there. What is my team? Uh, your team is Lieutenant Detective Sergeant Bill Cage from Edge of Tomorrow, Legend Johnny Legend from the film Legend, and Vincent Collateral from the film Collateral. All right, I'm going to say Collateral is Smarts, Edge of Tomorrow is Demolition, and Jack of the Green is, of course, the heart of the team. He always riles everybody up and get them together. Can I just say uh, one HM, which is Brian Flanagan from Cocktail, should have been throwing some bottles on well, one of these teams. 
he's at the home base that all of our teams share, yes. making everybody cocktails. So everybody lands on the cruise cruise to tell stories and drink some cocktails. Exactly. <laughs> the cruise averse. That is your Tom Cruise draft. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. More Minority Report. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for Ryan to draw you a picture. Uh, I can write you a poem. You can get the shirts off our very own backs. All of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash your pop filter. While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp. He's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, you can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. Taste Buds, what would you say Minority Report's thesis is? Is it just cops are bad? Or is there something else that might get lost in the futurism, heavy symbolism, bendy plot, and sci-fi action? I mean, I think there's so many things going on here. Like, where do, where do you want to start, Greg? Like, well, I mean, if, uh, we, if we want to talk centrally about what the the most central like thesis of the movie would be, I think it has to do with that you know that there is no ultimate protection that is that does not become worse than the thing it protects us from mm. even though like we live in this time where i feel like we're you know cutting out some of our freedoms to be safer isn't that always going to work for the benefit of us <laughs> if we just give trust into the powers that be and give them access to more and more power and authority won't it just work out it is it is crazy that the right and i don't want to bring politics into this 2002 was a uh, clearly not a political time <laughs> Uh, I swear to God. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. The the right is very much saying like trading freedom for safety. Don't do that shit. But then they're also like back the blue motherfucker. Why yeah. would you question anything they have to That's say? All they want is to give up rights for safety. Oh, that's all they want to do. Like I, I kept thinking while watching this movie that this movie came out right on the heels of uh, 9-11 and there's no way because like by the nature of how movies are made that it could have predicted that but, but Christopher it Nolan should have been able to right I mean if you think about it Christopher any movie yeah, was going that, to I mean it had the three bodies yeah. in milk so but Christopher like Nolan bodies in the milk <laughs> Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight tries to do so much of what Minority Report does so much worse 7 or 8 years later of just the well, whole like no, if we can scan everyone, this is will make us safer, and it won't. I think two reasons or two things there is uh, one, Minority Report shows you why that's bad. The Dark Knight just has uh, Lucius Fox saying, "Hey, this is bad." The movie doesn't show something bad happening. It actually is like, yeah, I mean, Batman did it, and it was actually pretty good for us. <laughs> there wasn't a downside there. And also, uh, Steven Spielberg, I don't does not think his audiences are dumb. Steven Spielberg loves his audiences and loves that they love his movies. Christopher Nolan thinks everybody who likes his movies is an idiot and wants to talk down at them all of the time. I mean, are we at the point now that we've been doing this show for however many seasons we've been doing it to finally 
call out the difference between how Spielberg and like I understand based on how podcast listeners are that we're going to lose about half our audience right now. But how Steven Spielberg knows how to make movies and tell stories. Christopher Nolan is not that. I my, my stance for years has been Christopher Nolan is, a I think, technically a talented director. Don't let him fucking near the story. Have a strong writer yeah. control that shit. You know what? He's we- just the dad part of Fableman. I mean, the whole part, the whole point of Fableman is that Steven Spielberg is the combination of his mom's kind of out there creative streak and his dad's scientific perfection. And Nolan is just the dad from that movie. Like, I don't understand how humans work. Like, and I I'm don't not that understand. Interested. And yeah, like, and I would <laughs> like to not learn. Frankly. We don't want to know. <laughs> uh, and yeah, like, um, there's just, there's no uh, interest in how humans need to acquire information. So I think that a lot of the fanboys, I don't want to like go off on Nolan here when w- we have so little time to talk about the themes of Minority Report, but like. An innocent Nolan fan who's listening to this because they like the show is just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Why is this happening to me? <laughs> All right, back to Spielberg then. I do, I do think uh, another, but then after its main, like its thesis, Mike, I agree, Ryan, with what you said, which is that then it splits off into just like hundreds of different messages about all sorts of things. I think another important one, though, is that like the need for religion is so important to us that we will turn structures of power into structures of religion, even if they don't have like a real religious center to them. Be- because, like yeah, like uh, th- this whole movie is about like, don't make me think. You yeah. think for me. Mm-hmm. That's what makes happiness, right? Like and don't so, like, blind uh, me, but only let me see enough so that I am effectively blinded. Right, and like the eye imagery is one of the times where this movie steps over the line. It's like yee, we get it, yeah. right? Like there's so much eye stuff. But I do think it ultimately all works out because of when the eye stuff lands, when it lands is like, okay, so now this movie is pumping with gas in that it's not see things my way. That's what I love about this movie is that it's not like to stop looking at the things that you're stop looking at the things in the way that you're looking at them and see things my way. It's just see things differently than you do right now or see more than you are right now. You know, we talked about how. Tom Cruise thought that pre-crime, which is it's so hard to not say pre-crime, guys. I got it every time I say it's, it. Look, three out of seven guys suffer from pre-crime, and that's okay. <laughs> Hims has a pill for that now. Uh, but like, it's it's not that like uh, now you should see this in an entirely different light. It's just look more, you know, look more at the stuff. And I think it does a really good job with religion in that it's not religion is is terrible. It's just look more. And the other thing, too, is technology. I I can feel a director here saying, oh, my God, you want me to make Harry Potter. You want me to do all of these things that the film is about to go down this uh, line of just me making all of these technological IP, you know, but like, could I just do this instead with this very weird story and a very Spielbergian movie? And could that be it instead? I, ultimately it wasn't i also think ryan though it's not it's not just like see things in a different way it's that to achieve that we have to lose the eyes that come from the system the eyes that are tied right. into the system and we need the outside the underground the illegal perspective 
that gives us the a, a view from outside our own society so we can understand its weirdness. One thing the movie does a good job of is establishing the weirdness and the uh, like the similarity to our own society. And then when he gets the new eyes, he suddenly becomes he, now he is like from a subject position outside or he's like not really a subject of the society anymore. And that allows him to see it in a completely different way and see how broken and misaligned it is. I mean, not only are we talking about like how heinous crime fighting is in this way, but we're, I mean, we are talking about slavery. Like when they come in and they see these three people there, which I thought all three were girls. I don't know why, but it turns out to be two only boys and a girl, is. Agatha. Only the strong one is, is it woke. Classically, the oracles were women. Probably. Yeah. Um, they're things. They're talked about as if they are like. Doesn't items. the technician say? It helps to not think about it. when he's like, hey, here's how this world works, Colin Farrell, who's lived in this world, but I'm explaining every <laughs> little detail to you. Uh, he you know what he does, says, it helps he, to not think of them as humans. He chews gum the entire time when he's talking, and I think that like helps out his all of his dialogue. Just like, oh, Colin? Yeah, he's just chewing gum right and they now. Also, so. that's, that's his workaround into the American accent. Also, their point of origin um, is rendered in yeah. by the society as well because they're the cast-offs. Right. They're the broken children of of drug addicts, and so that like re- that's a double message about like that there are these people who are so worthless to society that, and yet so like integral as well. Right, and they're not the bro- like their parents were in a way, depending on how you look at addiction. That their parents had those issues. But society deemed the children also broken before they ever had a chance That's to true, live their yeah. own life. But it, it's not even that. It's not even like, oh, you're already broken. It's that if we continue to break you, society will be better. And so no matter what the cost is, even if I'm going to like stand out here as an old-ass man, which we learned at the end, take my jacket off and drown you, um, then it's going to be worth it because society will be better. And there are so many people who are doing that today thinking that they're making society better but no like you're the villain though you're the villain have have these people has anybody on like the fringe right wing ever watched a movie but you or know they what they do right you know what they tell they say that they they're going to do the bad thing that's go- and then society they're will- on that wall they're on the yeah. wall and i'll do the bad thing but- so that society can right itself they also rewire their brains jk rowling just said Death Eaters were clearly always a metaphor for the LGBTQ community. No way. Not for Nazis. Yeah, she's like, well, uh, if you look at it, they're living in secret. They want to kill, like... uh, So even the creators don't understand, or their brain breaks enough that they don't understand. That I, I thought that she had run out of the ability to still do things that could could have any effect on me, quite frankly. But that, I actually, I find that really shocking. (laughs) We have talked a lot about um, Steven Spielberg playing in this world, but also trying to bring a bunch of things. I just sent you guys a shot of the movie "The Passion of the Joan of Arc." Yeah, that that's Agatha. That like he yes. moves the camera so creepily close to her, like that movie that never takes the camera off this person who is being judged and sent to hell. Like, right. and this she's is... got that like broke that cracked nature of communing with something that's bigger than humanity right like joan of arc has Wait. that because she's potentially talking to god and agatha has it because she can see what turns out to be not just a future but like multi-form futures like multiple potential futures which right. is like fuck you but i love you but I, I i'm in love with you but also i hate you yeah. like they they talk about how like if this gets in the wrong hands everyone will kill each other and that's just true 
But it's okay when we decide who gets killed. Well, that's right. the thing. Yeah, like when the, the when some entity takes that onto itself and just says, "Don't ask us what we're doing," right? Like, th- just don't ask any questions, and we'll give you as much freedom as we can give you. Mm-hmm. And then, it, but it, just don't press against that. And also, you hate everything that's good if you dare ask a question. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's like patriotism, right? Like, <laughs> this is going to this is going to make sure that there's less murders. So if you argue with it, do you want more murders? And, well, I guess I don't. So therefore, you're going to buy into all of this stuff. That, I was going to ask something, but I'm going to wait for a... Speed round. Right now, would the two of you, would you rather live in a minority report world or the purge world? Where the purge is the exact opposite of minority report. The purge says, more murders will make everything better. Oh, boy. Um, I guess the purge. I I have to admit that I'm Why? a I have the soul of a bootlicker, so I'm gonna go with Minority <laughs> Report because I just I like I'm so good at being dominated by a culture. I'm just like okay, cool. Yeah. I'm sorry. Wait, who's yeah, in charge? Oh, okay, cool. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a kneeler. Uh, what, the, what they call in Game uh, Game of Thrones, I'm what the the Northerners are calling kneeler. This was originally going to be a sequel to Total Recall, starring Arnold. How would he have handled the broken father on the run roll? That is not the minority report. No, it, it is. Ah, oh, sorry, actually. <laughs> anyway, get to the chopper. Thank you for the coming to our chopper, theaters. I mean. <laughs> Do you think he could have handled the the emotional uh, needs of, of this course. character? Uh, yeah, Arnold could resonant. handle everything. Yeah, stupid question, Mike. He could have handled it there's all. A not, there's <laughs> actually not anything Arnold Schwarzenegger can cannot do, Mike. He Is it raise a, a farm of uh, like baby lambs? Because he could do that. Yeah, he can do the shit out of that. Uh, govern California well. Oh, he was not a terrible governor. It's not that may not be popular to say, but we've had worse governors, a lot worse. Have you gone a little too far in the religious imagery when a guy is just playing the pipe organ in his office that is the prison? Yeah. See, I, like, I think this is joking around. Like, not only the organ, but also... He's also making also, eggs at the same time. Yeah, he's <laughs> making eggs. And then, um, I'm so Tim Blake Nelson, Yeah, his performance is the most I'm in an early Sam Raimi movie of yeah, anyone it, else in this movie. It's so... What what had to help reframe this movie, and it's only thinking about it, is during a lot of during it, I was like, "What the <laughs> fuck?" And then later, I was like, "Oh, this is Spielberg. He is doing a B movie from the '80s." Yeah. And once you're like, "This is on purpose," and he didn't forget everything he was good at, uh, you're like, "No, I get it, and I'm on board." Yeah. You know what? I think that I think that this is a uh, pretty good Gilliam, and probably uh, slightly minus Verhoeven. Like he was probably <laughs> aiming for RoboCop and landed in. 12 monkeys i felt personally <laughs> like it was not enough kruger and too much Voorhees. My, myself um i do think that when you see a swing and a miss as big as the organ uh you have to be like okay i have to grant that you were trying to do something absurd and right. then when the dude swings around and he's making like a moons over my hammy in his office at the same time <laughs> you just have to be like all right no, I have to get on the level of this scene. I can't right. hope that the scene is going to come to me. Plus, For some with- reason, Tim Blake Nelson is fucking Dick Van Dyke from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> just this weird inventor with a thousand <laughs> things. Without that organ, uh, Tom Cruise's ex-wife couldn't throw his eyes on the fucking organ and be like, bro. <laughs> I like how the movie definitively answers, yeah, he gets weird with those people. Like- oh, yeah. 
at first it's just kind of hanging in the air and then both guys whose job it is to oversee comatose people both of them very much are revealed towards the end of the movie to be deeply weird and they have to be right because you have to the part of the movie's thing is you're going to get corrupted by any power that you're in contact with and so you have to show those little characters doing it too comatose or come on toes you know like that both of those things are Ryan, i'm editing that out of the show (laughs) I'm so, I'm gonna forget Our, it later, but I'm saying now that I'm editing it out of the show. <laughs> Are jetpack cops the Segway cops of the future? <laughs> Paul Blart, jetpack cop. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. That's the the third of the trilogy, which will of course be the best trilogy ever made. These are the I worst it... jetpacks of all time. These are just they they function so poorly. Is this the best era of cruise we've ever had? Best era? You mean like 99 through 02? Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah, I think, I think that 97 through 02, because I do like to include Jerry Maguire in this. I think that's a fantastic movie. But I, I think that this five-year run was like him saying, I'm the biggest star in the world and I'm going to play with it, which is so much more interesting than the Will Smith thing of I'm the biggest star in the world right. and I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep it. Also, he, you know, an amber. he's always classically been a baby face. This was like the best he ever looked. He is like so sleek and trim and striking. And I just feel like you don't from that point, either before that, it was like, why is this small child in a suit talking to me? right? Now? <laughs> and then past that, it's like he's you four see, foot 11. You see him trying to, uh, trying to like you know hang on to an unnaturally youthful appearance but here is where he's right in the zone and the camera loves it if anyone like ever wondered what melty face muscle relaxer yeah if I think anyone ever looks the best wondered what me mike and greg look like it's as if tom cruise did the melty face relaxer right, right. in their chin See, that's classic spielberg though isn't it like that's from a fairy tale that's not from a sci-fi story that's from a myth or a fairy tale but spielberg loves to right. give you both the myth and the fairy tale in sci-fi and it's like it always works it's always exciting i'm the hunchback will i win yes yes you will you absolutely will <laughs> why would the actor max van Sydal ever play a character with a name other than max van Sydal? <laughs> you don't like director <laughs> lamar burgess <laughs> isn't it crazy colin farrell used to try to be a normal actor in normal movies yeah, fuck that shit, dude. One thing, Banshees was robbed at the Oscars this year. One thing I thought was very Why? unusual about this movie is, okay, so we have this Irish actor whose dad died on the steps of a church in Dublin, signifying that he's most likely Irish. And Colin Farrell was like, okay, I hear that, I hear that, I hear that. How about I do my stilted American accent? And they were like, whatever, we're not even sure you're going to be in the final cut. Yeah, is, but like uh, we, you, you have to admit that he was Irish, though, because he kissed that St. Christopher so many times, so only like a movies. fucking Irish guy would. Almost as if he was uh, Kevin Bacon in R.I.P.D., another movie everybody loves to talk about. Was that O2? That, no, that was, that was like far too that late was for O2 the amount of disgusting jokes in it. In. <laughs> is this movie trying to do a little too much with eyes like we've talked about? What, what, is, what is the point? What, what, is it original at all? I think, again, that I, like, I think that Steven... Oh, this is going to be rough, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through it. I think that Steven Spielberg is the perfect gateway from your Michael Bay's and your Zack Snyder's into your, uh, you know, uh, Tarkovsky's in that I'm going to leave some breadcrumbs or some Reese's Pieces, if you will, right out there for you. But if you keep digging with me, there's a lot of other stuff to find. And the eyes are a lot. But I think that by the end, like, even if you're rolling your fingers... Yes, Ryan. 
<laughs> at what he's doing. By the end, the eyes work too. Like he always he always figures out a way. I have to say, it was it was a lot, but at the same time, with Spielberg, you're always getting like it's never just the symbol. It's also the fact that they are literally eyes, and he gets a lot of mileage out of their being literally eyes, both if they're used to like get entrance into somewhere, which works as like kind of a symbol and in reality, or just grossing you out because you're like, oh, God, how awful would it be if someone took my eyes? It, it's his genre play as well. And I think it, mm-hmm. it also, yeah, it, it anchors it in right. stories from antiquity. Like the, the oldest, something happening to your eyes is like the oldest device of all time. It's always the way the hero shows that he, he now has gained an imperfection. It's the Odin's self-administered imperfection is to take out his own eye. And so you could say, oh, it's been done a lot. But also it's like paying homage to like classic storytelling and putting it in that perspective. So I think, like, in conclusion, the eyes have it. Ah, this guy. Ryan. That could have gone either way yeah. there, Ryan. Yeah, I was, that was, I was that on was the edge of my seat. <laughs> Does the attempts at comedy undercut the terror of being chased for something you did not do? No way, Jose. Yeah, I mean, like, I, uh, we, one of the directors that we have not mentioned is Hitchcock, which is, I'm going to be on the run the entire movie. I'm going to build up the tension scene by scene. And hopefully movie length, but also I'm gonna have weird broad gags because you're at the movies right now and you want to munch popcorn, you know? Like this, it, it's Hitchcock in, in that like, can you see? Did this twist work? Did this twist not work? But it's all fun, right? It's all super fun. Yeah, and it's it's part of the a, a movie like Minority Report says, shouldn't we question the system? But then it entertains us so much that ultimately, like, there's this rupture where we're like, yeah, things can be kind of bad, and then we're brought home so that we're like, ah. Eh, I'm sure everything's working out for the best. Do you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go buy another movie ticket. <laughs> Ultimately, like just to like that's gonna be my what's it called? Narrowin. Yeah, my narrowin. Yeah. Narrowin away from uh, real life is just like I'm gonna go buy more movie tickets. Is the only cruise better than Tom Cruise? The 311 cruise featuring Sublime with Rome. Yes. Does Cruise <laughs> running from character actor to character actor to get more information to make the world feel bigger? Or does it make it feel like it's a video game where he has to collect all the little puzzle pieces before he can fight the big boss? Oh, man. I just finished the, the show The Last of Us. Nothing feels more like a video game. Nothing feels like a video game at all compared to that show. <laughs> uh, I would say no. I, I I think that this movie, like, again, is, like, uh, chase paced out. Like, I think that it that it, that part never occurred to me. I think that it's a good device for moving around the world and getting different perspectives on it. I think it would be more impactful if every uh, each one of those people he met didn't then deliver a little soliloquy about, like, here's my whole deal and here's what's been going on in my neck of the woods. And our final speed round question. We've talked about it a little but Is this movie too white and not in the normal moody way, <laughs> but, like, the lighting, it's literally too bright and white to enjoy? Uh, there are some times. I mean, I have very sensitive eyes. I replaced them 10 years ago mm-hmm. with even lighter eyes. Uh, there were some times where like, I thought that I should be wearing sunglasses while watching this movie. I have to say, I understand why he did it, and I, I, I like it as a choice. It's very interesting. It is certainly one of those choices, though, where it doesn't... I didn't feel like I sunk into it. Like I feel mm. like you as the viewer are constantly aware that movies are not usually colored this way. They're not usually exposed this way. <laughs> and because it couldn't just like... I couldn't stop noticing it. And I felt this way when we watched AI, too. Um, and I know there's a slightly like, different character to the light, but 
if I'm always noticing it after a while, I'm like, okay, this is a little bit, maybe a little bit too much. Uh, and I'm, I got nervous while watching it that did this teach J.J. Abrams how to make movies? Yeah, like, right. Just shine light in their eyes, I was and when they're not looking, yeah. to the next was, scene. Was this just like, lens okay, flare the central? Screen. I'll just flare the shit out of that lens over and over again. That is it for speed round. We're gonna take the quickest of breaks, and when we come back, it's award season. I do have to pee really bad. Well, that is very, very funny, or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about. Or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. Award season, of course, is when we look back and say, what do the Oscars do? We're going to do more. Minority Report did receive an Academy Award for Best Sound Editing back in the day when there was sound mixing and sound editing awards before they just said, this one's loud. <laughs> the loudies. But it did not win. So wait, I'm sorry. There was there there was two. And they were like, yes. Minority Report, only one. You will get yeah. nominated for only one. The mixing is a little rough, but the editing, oh Ooh. shit. <laughs> and that's Stinky. why they're like, you know what? Nobody knows what this means. <laughs> So tonight we're going to give it a handful of other awards, and it will receive all of them, starting with what is the cruisiest moment, Ryan? Um, I'm going to go back to my beloved, and PayPigs know this already, but uh, for the rest of it, the audience, I'm a big Jetpack fan. If you're surrounded by people in Jetpacks, uh, you're probably screwed, uh, unless you're Tom Cruise, who runs down this alleyway, the, the hands, just the way that they move, like, there's <laughs> so arm motions you know. yeah there's so many um acting moments that were but those aren't you don't think of like those as cruisy moments right you right. think of fucking running and i gotta tell you guys everybody runs wow greg i'm also gonna go uh with a running scene but it is uh the very specific scene where agatha suddenly screams at him run but he's in a room with like 10 guys yeah and he looks at her and then he just goes you know what yeah i'm gonna run but he gets like one and a half steps into his running before he just runs into a wall of dudes and i just thought dang dude that is i think tom cruise would really do that do you know what happened there is born uh what was the movie that we watched born Born Identity? identity But not Born Supremacy was out yet. That's when the parkour started. If that movie had come yes. out, he would have known how to jump around walls and shit. And then Casino Royale. Yeah. And parkour. then The Office. Uh, that one Ryan. is going to go to Ryan because that is exactly what I have. It's Fight VC's Jetpacks. Worst feature tech, Greg. Speaking of jetpacks, <laughs> everybody dreams of having a jetpack. What if something could uh, make you sort of bob in the air slowly, and if someone nudged you, you would just drift off into the distance? Um, what if instead of just landing on your feet, you extre- you descended extremely slowly? Uh, I, I honestly think that the movie is making an intentional point with how bad these jetpacks are, uh, and to really underscore that, they are so awful. Uh, they'll have like six guys where one guy would do, and it's because they need numbers because they're all wearing jetpacks. <laughs> Ryan, your rebuttal? Uh, I mean, to that, the worst thing I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> obviously, Tom Cruise was so capable that he could take out the perfect weapon, 
the jetpack. And <laughs> we've gone over this. Like, I feel like we've talked about jetpacks more than the film Minority Report tonight. So I'm going to move on to my worst technology, which is the personalized advertising. We talked about this a little bit, too, where... Every time you walk past anything, they're like, oh, hello, Tom Cruise. American Express much? Uh, Oh, shit. Would you like orange juice? How about an avocado? Is your dick still weird? (laughs) (laughs) What would I... That was the other thing. They they would say, like, prescriptions and sizes. Oh, last time you were here, you you bought an extra, extra large diaper. Would you like another one? (laughs) Bro, the shit, you poop baby. What I dislike, having worked in the advertising industry, is uh, it did... Uh, predict that we would have targeted ads, but it is so bad. It's just them screaming their name and then just doing a normal ad. That is not good targeted <laughs> advertising. Hey, but idiot. <laughs> uh, he has what I have. Greg gets the point. Fuck those jetpacks. You guys are jet you guys are insane. I was, I was literally sitting there watching the movie, and I was like, "This should be a category. How bad this." technology is this should be one of the awards Do you know it what's made gonna me s- think of segways the stupidest technology <laughs> yes, ever actually yeah. invented you know it's gonna suck in like five years when i buy a jetpack and burn blast burn past all both of your houses giving you the middle finger as i crash into a bird and die immediately <laughs> that's gonna suck for you too because you have to replace me on the show <laughs> oh, that will be hard he's gonna be real annoying all the time uh best prestige tv star of the future ryan who do you got mike Prestige TV, broad definition, yes? Oh, yes. Broad. Uh, Neil McDonough, who played Damien Dark on the show Legends of Tomorrow. That is not a that's not a prestige. <laughs> I that believe not, that, that he... Uh, Greg, I'm sorry. Are you speaking to the person who cameoed me on my birthday and wished me a happy birthday? That was Neil McDonough. Thank you, Mike, for that uh, you're, eternal you're birthday present. Um, it's Neil McDonough, star of... The single greatest TV show in superhero show show history, Legends of Tomorrow. And the greatest scene of any of those shows, the Mac the Knife fight. Yes. This is Damien Dark. Return of the Mac. I'm sorry. Return of the Mac. It's Return of the Mac. Yeah. Return of the Mac. It's Damien Dark himself. Greg, who do you have? Kind of of feel like I'm already screwed on this one. Colin Farrell was on the second season of True Detective. Second season, True Detective, not as bad as people say. Actually, pretty interesting. Uh, and his performance of, like, he's trying to sa- seem like a really cool cop, and the other cops all see what he's doing, and they're like, stop, why are you doing that? We don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> uh, sure. Right. It's obviously Neil McDonough. <laughs> Clearly. Yikes. Cringiest moment from the prestige drop from the t- the prestige TV drama. Colin Farrell was famous before True Detective, and I would say that True Detective season two is less prestige than Legends of Tomorrow. And I had no idea he was in it. I just knew the kid from Friday Night Lights rides his motorcycle like this. Oh, remember that guy? What's his name? Scoots McNary, which sounds like a name that I made up. It's not him, but that's Taylor a different actor. Lautner? Excuse Taylor Lautner? Taylor is the guy from Halt and Catch Fire. Yeah. Yeah. Taylor Scoots Kitcher? Mc... Taylor Kitch. Taylor Kitchener, yeah. Taylor Kitchen. Kitchen. All right. Cringiest moment. Cringiest moment, Greg. Um, in a movie full of eye stuff, if you're someone who does not like a bunch of eye stuff, it's not a good movie for you. Uh, when the drug dealer says in the land of the people of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, and then he takes off his glasses, revealing that he does not. Great. He's got so he's not king. He's got zero eyes. So I don't know why he said that quite like that. Um, but looking into his, 
I don't know if that's what empty eye sockets would look like, but uh, I that, cringed. That was that was Harry Potter level. Like, what the fuck is this? This is like uh, two little volcanoes in one of the lowest budget movies I've ever seen. 1999's The Mummy is what that looked like before Emotep started to eat souls and get more flesh. Yes. Ryan? I uh, I had to go with, um, I know all the eye stuff cringes people out. It just, it's fine for me. Like, I'd rather watch the it's eye surgery. Yeah, I'd rather watch eye surgery than like somebody trimming their toenails. Um, so I had to go with, is this the right sandwich? Is it the right oh. sandwich? No, it's not. <laughs> this is a, this is a, what, do you, what are the last of us bad guys called? Quick cordyceps? The, oh. Yeah, cordyceps. This is a sandwich full of cordyceps followed by a, bottle of green as shit milk here's what i do i just give a little sniffsy right <laughs> yeah know? Like, i smell all my food every yeah. time i smell my food the guy who obviously kind of hates you said he made you a delicious sandwich why would you not trust that <laughs> and we didn't even talk about how like um we are surgeons and i know this room is dirty but i'm just gonna sneeze snot all over myself constantly and that's, yeah he's the devil from constantine right that's that actor and uh the quiet bad guy from fargo that Peter guy Stormare. rules man yeah. he just shows up and crushes his little scenes uh ryan gets that point because uh the sandwich stuff freaked me out way more than i stuff does having scraped mold off a bagel before i did this morning that stuff freaks me out <laughs> mike do you need to borrow money i might i'm not okay do you need to borrow uh, a bagel <laughs> can i borrow can a you, bagel can i lend you a cup of cream cheese Will you give Pound. me some locks of love? <laughs> locks of love, I think, is a different. <laughs> Please don't send something different. Sam into that organization. <laughs> I saw this adorable little girl with salmon hair. <laughs> pound for it's pound. Ginger, you asshole. <laughs> oh, pound for pound performance, Ryan. Uh, yeah. Look, I mean, it's it's the moment that we talked about with the uh, wait. Is my kid alive? No, he's not. It's the. Um, playing against type, but for type, but with type, but against type, but with type. Like how I, I think that we're like even lion, when we do lions for lambs, when we do Tropic Thunder, it's gonna be Tom Cruise. I'm just hook, line, and sinker. I can't explain it. Maybe he if we is put, the best part of Tropic Thunder. Maybe if we put this guy in the Hall of Fame, then I can start to get over it. But I, I honestly wouldn't nominate him. I don't know. I'm just it's it's Tom Cruise. Gregory, do you have any? I'm going to go with Samantha Morton. I was so interested in what she was doing as the, like, um, kind of... Is she Agatha? Yeah, she's Agatha. Yeah, so... Um, Nellish. Mm-hmm. Excuse me? There's some Nell- tay in the wind about her. <laughs> A little bit of Nell to her. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, like, um, she's the saintly fool, right? Like, she's endowed with the, with divine powers, and it breaks her as, like, a person. Um, although we see her sort of regain that, because if she's taken out of her environment and then just put in a nice, quiet house, she clearly, like, becomes a little bit, uh, I don't know, more settled down. But I just really liked her performance of, like, is it now? Um, yes, like, mm, that was... Seeing all these different futures, the whole... Like, uh, here's what Sean would have been like if he had lived. Um, and, you know, they like they don't find out how he died from her. They find out they find out how uh, Sean would have lived. And I think like she just breathes a lot of like beauty into that. And we see her character as very human in that moment. And so we, like, we see the couple as more human than they've been. And uh, yeah, so I just thought it was a, a powerful performance. It was also nice to watch Tom Cruise have some patience with his 
uh, Passenger, because I, I believe that we also did a Moody about Rain Man. Yeah. And <laughs> that, that was a big change. Ryan. Good one. Also, Ryan. I have to agree. I think Tom Cruise crushes. Agatha was excellent, but man, that guy. Our final award, director's signature moment. Greg, let's start with you. Uh, to quote uh, Rihanna, all of the lights, right? All of the lights. <laughs> uh, but specifically in that scene I was just talking about, um, we are we get shots of um, crews really close, like huge, extreme close-ups on him. And there is just this like light pouring from behind him. And more than ever in that moment, like the film does become black and white. Like it just is. You, there's just nothing else there for you to see except for the colors black and white. Uh, and I just felt like that one moment encapsulated his handling of light in this movie. That is a good one. Ryan? <laughs> I mean, like we had a whole segment de- dedicated to Spielberg's direction of this movie, which I think that like is not flawless, but uh, to be... Uh, enamored over because of how flawed it is and you know like don't believe everything that you see and i think that he's like uh predicting almost that if he's in like a milk bath about the cgi that's coming (laughs) um i think that he's talking about his thoughts on religion his thoughts on parenthood his thoughts on crime his thoughts on politics uh we talked about all that in that segment but sometimes spielberg's after spielberg so i'm gonna say for my actual answer in a tense scene the jetpacks gently fly over a grill of burgers. And that's yes. just <laughs> that's just so hit like And they get charbroiled. Yeah. And he's just like, look what I did. I'm Steven Spielberg and I fucking barbecued those burgers. Yeah, I, th- that is such a, a good reminder that he's the kid from Fableman's because that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what the kid from Fableman's and, like it's, it's there is no grow. moment. There's no mo- like I, I bet like if we do an episode on Schindler's List, we're gonna find times where he was like Come on, Stevie. I got a little zany with this one. (laughs) Those ovens did burn Jews, but also the perfect rotisserie chicken. Steven. Steven. Not okay. Yeah, Steven. Steven for that. (laughs) Mine was uh, bringing it back to the sun, especially once I found out that that had nothing to do with the original short story. And Steven Spielberg was like, what if the dad has an issue with his missing son? It's like, okay, buddy, we get it. Just go to therapy. (laughs) What is your recommendation, Ryan? I said it earlier. Uh, I'll say it again because I, I do think this movie's lost to time. It was so big back in the day. Um, and I think a lot of it has been lost uh, for the sake of Brad Pitt because he's so, so bad in this movie. Uh, in a, a very short amount of time, I watched the movie Seven and Twelve Monkeys, and I thought, I have no idea who this actor is. And I think that over time, he's proven to be like a pretty capable actor 12 Mm -hmm. monkeys you want to ignore brad pitt he's so i'm gonna act the fuck out of it but 12 monkeys is in other ways such a like i'm gonna clean up the sci-fi genre but i'm gonna dirty it up and i'm gonna have fun with it i'm gonna make it big budget i'm gonna make it mainstream but also i'm gonna throw in these tweaks almost like uh Sam Raimi tried to do with Multiverse of Madness, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to see if I can spend this company's money. <laughs> Not poorly, but, like, I'll see if I can get it done. I think that 12 Monkeys has a lot of this energy that Minority Report has. I'm glad you brought up 12 Monkeys because uh, it is this podcast official stance that even though Mike Dexter think he's Brad Pitt, 
He is no Brad Pitt, not even Brad Pitt in 12 Monkeys where he's got that eye thing. Is this yes. a can't hardly wait reference? It is a can't hardly wait oh reference. My goodness, Mike. Mike's Dexter is an asshole. Greg, what is your recommendation? The movie I couldn't stop thinking about um, was Spielberg's other movie from right around this time, AI. Uh, and there's a lot of ways in which Minority Report is different than AI, but they're both uh, like sort of weird looks at the future. Um, and they're both this mix. Like The more you look at them, the more you realize it's not just sci-fi. This is fantasy at the same time. Um, which is something he may have picked up from a little guy named George Lucas, if you heard of him. Uh, <laughs> but like the way he sets a fairy tale in the future and with robots, and the way he's like, if you do it this way, you can right. tell something that is like realist and fantasy kind of in the same moment because my magical characters are either going to not be magical or they're going to be aliens <laughs> or they're going to just live far in the future. Um and so just like that sort of mix of sci-fi and fantasy. And then the, I have to admit, mostly it's because he lit the two movies in very similar ways. And so that's what I was thinking of most of the time while I was watching it. Mine was like, do you want a adult sci-fi movie from the 2000s? They're out there. We've just forgotten a lot of them. Minority Report seems to be a little too forgotten. Uh, Source Code, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Michelle Monaghan, uh, is where he... Not Groundhog's Day, but goes back in time. Like, their technology, he can see through the eyes of a person who has died. And he just watches, he replays their, like, last two minutes of life over and over and over oh again uh, to figure out who done it. And it's a, it's a different take on a, a futuristic who done it, but I, I think underrated. Good one. Now is the time. You know, some weeks is my favorite moment. I like causing people pain uh, this week. It sucks. I, I don't like. I think you both did a best friend worthy job. Oof. I think I got Th- housed. That's <laughs> pretty sweet of you. <laughs> but only one person will be my best friend. Uh, Greg, you got housed with 58 points. Oh, that's not bad. Ryan, you actually got housed with 55 points. Greg is my best friend for the week. What? Surprise, Greg, you can't surprise. see that coming. The way that he does that, you can't read him. Just no, I uh, as he started telling the scores, I was like, oh, wait, did I actually... Yeah. W- once he said I got 58 points, I was like, hmm, that's probably going to be... Yeah, I feel like that's not, a moody record. That might be a winning score. I feel right like the second most amount of points ever scored is 55. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> well, said, both of you did an admirable job. Uh, how do we think Minority Report's going to do in the bracket? I, like, going to through all the things that I think about when it comes to movie of the year, which is uh, all of the quality stuff plus the about the year. I think that Mm. this has a shot. uh, Because if you think about it in the way that we sometimes think about it of like everybody's number two, um, I think this movie fucking rules. I think this movie is... I don't... It's just so of its time and futuristic. I'm in, guys. As the star and focus of today's show, uh, it very much felt like, yeah, dude, this movie's got a real chance. I think it's going to be everybody's fourth or fifth favorite movie from this mm. year, though. I just think there are some really, really, really good movies. So, like, in this moment, it feels like it's got a real chance. But when I step back and swap out my eyes, I don't know. I think I see a different future for this one. And I think it's, you know, maybe an early round win. But as it as it moves through the later rounds, I think it's going to encounter some resistance. For for me, it's 
I was surprised because I remember really liking it when I first saw it. And what the, the experience of watching it, I was like, is this movie fucking stupid? Mm. And then it was thinking about it later and then unfolding it with you guys. I was like, no, anything I thought was stupid was on purpose. And it is that genre playing and playing with what he can do now. Uh, and I think it's much smarter than if you go in and you're half on your phone, uh, modern viewers, you're going to miss what this movie is doing. Which and is like Mike did I've not do, right? No, no, no. I did not do it. I'm just yeah, saying, like, okay. I do think you. I was just watching it, uh, and I was just like, "What the fuck?" And so I just if the the on your phone thing is one because too many people do it, but also that means you're not going to walk away and think about it more. But so I that, turned it off, and then I was like, "Hmm." I think that's important though because he's making choices that uh, a, a much lower budgeted director would make, and so you'd yes. be like, "Okay, yeah, go for it." Then I guess. So just have that in mind because he's not. Zack Snyder. He's not like, well, I'll just do the fucking lamest possible thing at every moment. Slow-mo. Yeah, one thing this show has definitely proven to me is that if you th- if a movie is being outwardly obviously stupid, you really have to stop and question right. why they made that choice. Especially, as you said, Ryan, if it's made by like a master, right. like Spielberg, you the- might want to like try to figure out why it's the dumb. opening shot is turning a wooden block into a small red wooden ball get his name on it and having having it go murder and i was like oh <laughs> fuck this movie I mean, which is absolutely insane the like the little red balls but then there's another scene with the spiders yeah. where they uh, a married couple is like screaming at each other and then they stop let the spiders detect who they are and then they go back to their screaming because that's what it is it's just like well no normal life continues even though all of this shit happened and right. that's spielberg as fuck because you're not the one yet. You're not like you're still part of the system. Right. You know, if you're part of the system, you're fine. It's the second you become the individual, then you get hunted. That was our minority report show. And gosh darn it, did I enjoy being on it with the two of you. Coming up the rest of the season, we have The Two Towers, 25th Hour, Adaptation, and so many more movies. Until then, keep watching those aforementioned and also whatever movies you choose. Movies. <laughs>